Chapter 7. In the last chapter, we saw that Shard was ostensibly on a vacation. Nevertheless, he confronted Alphonse Pinello at Albany's Little Italy. Booze, sex, and fear had convulsed other people. The sergeant's fine winter, maybe. In this chapter, 7, Mario Sardelli calls Tiny, and Shard visits Uncle Joe. Winter is a chemist. Hakon creeps into the case, and the Kaiser threatens to fire Shard. Saturday morning in Albany. Shard was sound asleep on his back when Copper's youngest child, Jason, landed squarely on his solar plexus. Oomph! Shard exhaled. Hello, Sergeant Shard, the tiny voice said as he wiggled his way up to Shard's shoulder. Hello, Jason. Why are you on top of me? Daddy said to wake you up. He's already left for work. He said you can shovel a driveway before you go to see him. Right, little copper, Shard said as he glanced at the clock, which read 8.15. He gave Jason a big hug and rolled out of bed with him, snugly nestled in his arms. Faith handed Shard a steaming cup of black coffee, and he waded through the knee-high snow to his cruiser, where he found a squashed camel in the owner's manual. A sudden drop in temperature during the night had reduced flakes to tiny sparkles that reminded him of diamond chips. As he watched them dart to and fro in the light breeze, he planned his day. He omitted allocating time to shovel the copper's driveway. Copper's office hadn't changed much in the four years since Shard had shared it with him. Sheaves of paper were piled everywhere, even on the floor, and heaps of everything from Coke cans to crumpled lunch bags littered the battleship gray desk. I see you finally caught up on your paperwork, old boy, Shard said as he sat down. You always come to work in a flannel shirt and blue jeans, Copper asked. Not as professional as you used to be. This is our uniform in the North, Copper. Without it, we look like outlanders. What have you done for me this morning? I put you in hock for a bottle of 17-year-old Glengoyne. You have to tell me what you did to earn it first, Shard said. I used my considerable powers of persuasion to get the captain to sign off on a warrant for our friend Alfie Spinello's phone records. He would only agree to get them for the last two weeks. I told him that'd be okay. The judge signed it, and I called an old friend at Ma Bell and offered her two tots of my Glengoyne if she'd expedite the numbers and fax them to me. Now, to show you how much influence I wield around here, Kathy has already sent them. They're on top of that pile, that one over there. No, not that one. Two piles to the left. The one in front. There! Shard took the four single-space pages and began looking for repeat calls and patterns. Ten minutes later, he asked, Got a phone book? Copper tossed it to him, and he began to work the numbers for people whose names he knew. Not surprisingly, many of his calls were to Tiny, he said. Probably had to call him a dozen times to get his simple point across. Also, several to Tony Kreska. How the hell did that check get into the mob, Shard asked. Maybe there's a shortage of uneducated Italians. Now here's an interesting set of calls, all made the week before Denise was killed, all to the 315 area code. That's Syracuse, Utica, and Leiden. Why would Spinello be interested in my precincts? Maybe his bookie lives there, Copper said, without looking up from behind a mound of papers. Hell, Spinello probably employs his own bookies. I'll tell you what, Copper, I'll throw in a poetic description of the Glengoyne distillery and its unique waters if you'll give your dear buddy Kathy a ring and get her to do a reverse on this number. I need to know who this is. This isn't a sticks, you know. He swung around to his computer and said, give me the number. Shard repeated it twice, just to make sure you get it, he explained. 
Coppershot shard the digit of international disrespect. Have a pencil, Copper ask? The phone is registered to one Joseph Iorio in Utica, office on Bleecker Street. Got that? Or do you want me to repeat it? No, no. One more thing, though, for which I'll give you an original poet description, not a copy. Any priors on this guy? Several pages of them. Surprised that none stuck? Mostly for illegal betting, prostitution, labor union graft, and oh yeah, several for assault, and one for suspicion of murder. He's your old, old-time mobster. Doesn't believe in corrupting youth. Doesn't fool with drugs. Women in numbers are higher class and still pay well. What's Spinello's connection to Iorio? Shard wondered aloud. How would I know? I think I know how to find out, Shard said. How? What's Spinello's weakest link? An offhanded guess my scotch purveyor is his synapses. They seem to fire erratically. I know a guy close to him whose synapses don't fire at all, Shard said. You have to mean the gentle giant Tiny. Bingo, my man. A short phone call to the mental midget ought to give me all I need to know. You're just going to ask him outright about his boss's connections to the central New York mob? I'll lay you a dime to a dollar he won't have a clue. Shard flinched at the cliché, but he thought better of mentioning it. Oh, come on, I'm more clever than that, he said, as he flipped through the local phone book. Tiny Donahue, Shard said into the phone. This is Mario Sardelli in Utica. Joe Iorio wants me to find out how Mr. Spinello liked the job I did for him. Who? Mario Sardelli, Tiny. You work for Uncle Joe? Yeah, he wants to know about the job we did. What job? The woman, Shard said. Oh, the dead woman in the cop's bed. Yeah, that's the one, Shard said, a little confused. The boss liked it, Mr. Uh, I forget your name. Sardelli. Yeah, the boss liked that. I ain't never figured out why a cop wanted a dead woman in his bed. I wouldn't want no dead woman in my bed. I'd want her brought alive, you know? I agree with you, Tiny. I didn't know Mr. Iorio was Mr. Spinella's uncle. He ain't. He's Mr. S.'s wife's father. Oh, yeah. He did mention that. But Mr. Spinello is happy with the dead broad? Yeah, I guess. But he said you guys fucked it up. You didn't dump her in bed. Or maybe you did. I forget. I don't like the dead broads in bed. But the boss said that was okay because maybe the cop fucked her before. Before she was dead. Interesting. Who was the cop? I forgot. Tiny paused so long Shard was tempted to prompt him. I can't remember, but he's that bastard up in the woods who threatened the boss. Oh, yeah, Shard something, Shard said. Yeah, that's the guy. We got him good, Mr. I forget your name again. Sardelli. Oh, yeah, Mr. Spinelli. Close enough, Tiny. Tell Mr. Spinello I called for Uncle Joe, will you? Yeah, Mr. Spinfellow. I don't know how God made people that stupid, Shard said to Copper. I'm more sure than ever that Spinello and his boys killed Denise depended on me. But some things in the story you heard at Little Italy and in what Tiny told me stink. Dead women in a cop's bed? Denise was in my car. And what did Tiny mean when he said Spinello thought Uncle Joe fucked it up? That he killed Denise and not Ellen? How did Uncle Joe's goons know I knew Denise years ago? My own sergeants didn't. There's something awry here unless those people are more stupid than I think they are. They're smart enough to stay out of jail, though. Where do you go from here? 
Don't forget on your way to pick up my Glengoin. I'm getting thirsty just thinking about it, Copper said. I think I'll go home and talk to my car, Shard said. Between it and Jarl Hakon, they'll give me the answers. Copper stared over the clump of papers at Shard as if he had just announced that he had taken up voodoo. Saturday morning in Utica. I'm telling you, honey, I'm in deep shit, Sand said over the phone. The cops quizzed me for an hour. I told them I'm not Tim Winter. Even showed the huge sergeant my driver's license. That didn't convince them. They kept questioning me. What am I going to do? That's your problem. Your pecker got you into this. Use it to get out. You think with it all the time anyway, she said. Oh, cut the crap. This has nothing to do with my pecker. It has everything to do with you and that worthless husband of yours. You know he's winter. All you got to do is get me off the hook and tell it to the cops. You crazy? Turn in my own husband? Where does that get me? He goes to jail, I lose this house, and the damn lawyers drain my bank account. That's a great idea, Stan. Okay, how about a compromise? You don't want me to spend the rest of my life in jail, do you? Well, that would solve one of my problems, Stan. Okay, don't turn him in. If you tell the cops where I was last weekend, then they will know I didn't kill the woman. Simple. No, it's not. I don't want to get involved, Stan. I know. But if you tell him you were with me, you won't be a suspect in the murder either. That's true, but I don't want the whole world to know I'm an adulteress. It's bad enough that I know it. There's no law against it, is there, Stan asked. Who the hell cares about that? The simplest out for you is to confirm that we were in the Utica Best Western for two days. I have receipts, and the cops love written proof. What makes you think so? You showed them your license, and they still think you're winter. We believe what we want to. I want to believe that you two guys will get the hell out of my life and leave me whole again. Is that a pun, Stan asked? God, you have a perverted sense of humor. Did you murder that woman? I'm beginning to think you did, so you could pin it on my husband with that phony winter story. Then you'd have no competition for my body. You need a woman now that your wife has walked out on you. No, I don't even know Denise. Or I don't think I did. You told me that she was your competition. That's all I knew. That makes him more likely to have knocked her off. No, it doesn't. But deep down, I don't think that either one of you bastards has the guts to do it, although you're both stupid enough. Look at the messes you two have made of your lives. Your marriage is on the rocks, mine is dead, my husband's lover is murdered, and I'm sick of both of you. Know why I drink a lot? Because it makes you horny, that's why. Fuck you, she said. Proof, right, Stan said. Now, will you back me up if I tell the cops where I was the whole weekend? That's all you have to do. We don't have to tell them what we did. I won't even admit that I saw you last weekend. Screw you. Sunday morning headquarters. Periwinkle came into their office laden with so much snow she looked like the abominable snowman's trophy wife. Is this stuff ever going to stop, Norseman? I'm getting depressed. I haven't seen my car in a week. It's just a mound in the driveway. Do you know that it's a statistical fact that women suffer from depression at much higher rates than men, Johnson asked? That's all that's wrong with you. You're female. Thanks for that surprising observation, Periwinkle said as she shook snow all over Johnson's desk. I really miss Shard. He never said anything like that. I had to turn you in for sexual harassment. For calling you a female? I don't think it'll stick, little flower. Uh, maybe. You've had all night to ponder Pressman and Tim Winter. What do you think? Johnson asked. 
The press women don't think well. But still, I think he's lying through his teeth. And the hell with the cliché. The boss isn't here. His license proves nothing. If he used Winter's name to pay for his affair with Denise or any other woman. What's your take on him? We don't have much to go on. Two generic descriptions, both of which this guy fits, as do hundreds of other guys. Why couldn't Winter have been six foot five and weighed 250 pounds and handsome beyond compare? Then we'd have something to go on. That wouldn't be a self-definition, would it? The handsome beyond compare is, yes, Johnson said with a grin. Periwinkle swung around, booted her computer, and tapped away. What are you doing? Getting the lowdown on Pressman. Why don't you get us a couple cups of coffee while I do the skilled work? Johnson frowned and walked out. Don't forget I like cream, she shouted at his back. Periwinkle was ready when he returned. Pressman's easy. I've got him. Shoot, Johnson said, as he placed Periwinkle's coffee next to her. Not enough milk, but I won't complain this time. You'll only say I'm depressed. No, I won't. What do you have? Interesting in one respect. Our Mr. Pressman is a research chemist of all things. Like the guy you used to date? The one with the Harley? He was a chemical engineer. Much different. But guess who Pressman works for? Eckert's. Close, but no banana. Hoffman LaRoche. The outfit that paid for Denise's rooms in Vegas? Not only Denise's, but Winter's as well. Coincidence, she asked? Also remember that Winter called Hoffman LaRoche when he was stuck in the Overlook Motel. But you checked, and they didn't employ anyone named Winter, right? Yep. Okay, go on. Well, interim boss, Hoffman LaRoche doesn't list Pressman as an employee either. Interesting. Johnson plopped his oversized feet on his desk. The only reasonable explanation I can think of is that he works for a firm that has a contract with Hoffman LaRoche. Maybe Hoffman LaRoche pays him, but not directly. Or, and here's a good one, Pressman isn't his real name either. As nervous as he was last night, I don't think he's competent enough to pull off multiple identities, she said. Eh, maybe. I hit a few of my favorite sites on the net and found that he's married and has three kids. He mentioned that last night, said he separated, and his wife was with her family in Syracuse. Yep, but then I darted into the financial world and discovered that our research chemist is up to his eyeballs in debt. Seems he has two mortgages on his house, owes on two cars, and is close to his limits on several credit cards. You'd think a man of science could handle his financial affairs better. He may be the type that can't handle them at all. All the science nerds I knew at Bent Bemidji were out to lunch. And all the Scandinavian studies types were perfectly normal, Norseman? Absolutely. Like me. I also wandered through court records and found a couple of interesting things. Oh, our man has priors. Sort of, Periwinkle said. He's paying mostly support for an illegitimate daughter. Near as I can tell, the girl's about six years old. Their mother had to take Pressman to court to get him to pony up. He was also hauled in last year and charged with physical assault with a lethal weapon. A gun? Johnson asked. No, more like a lethal weapon you'd prefer. Johnson looked at her strangely. A beer mug, Norseman. He tried to conk a barmaid over the head with it. Utica cops let him off with a stiff lecture, probably about being kind to women, and as far as I can tell, nothing more transpired. Our Mr. Pressman must have a temper, Johnson said, and he seems to have trouble with women. He knocks them up, knocks them silly, and maybe knocks them off. Strange actions for a guy who stands around in a white lab coat all day. Clever, and I agree to a point, but I don't think that occupations always mirror personalities.
Look at you and the boss, big, rough, and tumble cops, yet soft as brie inside. Sometimes even you are kind. Does that imply the boss is always kind and I'm not? I digress. I just had a thought. Pressman is exactly the same age as the boss. So I went back to see where Pressman went to college. Well, you will love this. He matriculated at SUNY Albany during the exact years the lieutenant was there. What do you think of that? If he were there with the boss, then he was there with Denise, Johnson said. Odds are the three crossed paths. That means that both men could have had some relationship with the victim. I don't like the smell of this little flower. The Kaiser won't either. You're going to tell him, she asked. Saturday morning, midway between Albany and Utica. Shard hardly noticed the snow blowing horizontally at his windshield. His mind kept picking up the loose ends in Tony's story. I spend my professional life untangling dangling threads, he said aloud. He often talked to cars. There was something therapeutic about it, he thought. They were almost human. Moved. Were sometimes powerful. Provided comfort. Were often frustrating. Demonstrated strange propensities. Aged. Sometimes gracefully, and sometimes not. Were expensive, and occasionally sexy. Best of all, however, they never revealed what he said to them. It doesn't quite make sense, he continued. Tiny said Uncle Joe screwed it up and still had the woman killed and put in my car. The only thing he could have screwed up is that his mug didn't put her in my bed. I wonder why not. I could break into my house, it's so easy. More likely, he killed the wrong woman. I bet Spinella wanted Ellen killed and left in my bed. But if that's the case, Uncle Joe's guy screwed up in a strange way. It couldn't have only been coincidence that he killed a woman I knew in a biblical way. That had to have been planned, but nobody knew of our relationship, and besides, it was almost twenty years ago. None of the pegs seemed to fit the holes. Shard turned off the throughway at the Utica exit to go north to Leiden. After he paid his toll, however, he turned south and went into downtown Utica. He had no trouble finding Iorio's Bleecker Street office. The huge sign out front announced it was the home of Iorio Enterprises. He parked in the no-parking zone under the sign and walked into the building and rang the bell. Yeah, came a gruff voice. Shard wondered how much sound that could have squeezed through a small speaker. Thomas Shard to see Mr. Iorio. There was a lengthy pause during which Shard could visualize the guy about five feet six inches tall, who very well might be Denise's killer, asking Uncle Joe if he wanted to see this guy. Come on up. The six-foot-six-inch-tall henchman who met Shard at the top of the stairs looked more like the Norseman. He towered over Shard by a good six inches. His most distinguishing characteristic, other than a cruel mouth, was that he seemed to have no forehead. His hairline descended to about half an inch above his eyebrows. His eyes, the color of licorice, did nothing to soften his visage. I got a check for heat, and he patted Shard down. Go in, he said and followed Shard into a large office painted entirely red, but furnished with black overstuffed leather furniture and dominated by a huge, well-worn Persian rug. Uncle Joe sat in a large armchair with his feet propped up on an ottoman, fondling a cigar that Shard guessed was as long as the Norseman's shoes. The only thing missing, Shard thought, was Italian opera shaking the windows. Yeah, Uncle Joe asked. Shard figured Iorio Enterprises could benefit from a seminar on collegiality. 
I'm Thomas Shard. My friend in Albany, Alphonse Spinello, sends his regards. I know who the hell you are, and the rest is bullshit. Alfie is dumber than a river rock. I should have never let him marry my sister. So why are you up here, cop? Okay, I'll start over. I'm Lieutenant Thomas Shard of the Mohawk County Sheriff's Department. Is that better? It's a start. Go on. I'm investigating the murder of Denise Sizemore. She was killed in Rochester, probably last Sunday, and her body dumped in my carriage house. So? In the course of my investigation, your name has come up twice, and I figured I ought to make your acquaintance and let you explain a couple things. I got nothing to explain for cop, but go ahead. Anytime my name comes up, I'm interested. A friend of mine in the state police heard Alfie's boys talking about how Denise was killed. He picked up the salient fact that Alfie's uncle might have done a job for his nephew and screwed it up. Does any of that ring a bell? I ain't Alfie's uncle. You know that already. He ain't my nephew. We got a better family than that. And the boys who sling loose talk around ought to have their lips removed. Got me? I think so. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Probably had their snouts in Alfie's wine. If so, they were drinking cheap shit. He wouldn't know a good bottle of of wine if I flash it across his face. And I want you to know that Uncle Joe never screws up and never neither do his boys. So whatever your friend overheard is pure bullshit. Anything else? As a matter of fact, yes. I called one of Alfie's boys who corroborated what my trooper friend overheard, namely that you were supposed to kill a woman and put her body in a cop's bed. According to Alfie's man, you hit the wrong woman and maybe the wrong cop's bed. Or your boys missed the woman in the bed entirely. Alfie's boy was confused, but he was certain that Alfie wasn't happy with the job you did for him. Uncle Joe stared at Shard with his dark brown eyes pulsing flashes of hate. Shard also noticed the hulking thug had tensed up and moved closer. Uncle Joe rolled his cigar around his fingers and drew in enough smoke in one drag to do a steam shovel proud. After he'd expelled it, he said, So what the fuck you trying to say, cop? That I had the broad killed and botched the job? Wrong broad? Wrong bed or something? I'm just reporting what I was told, and would like to hear your take on it. I ain't got no take on that crap. I run a clean business. I'm in trucking. Run my trucks all over the state. Check them out. Run them to Buffalo, Rochester, and Syracuse, maybe Leiden? Sure, everywhere. Ain't you ever seen Iorio trucks on the thruway? My name's in big letters down the sides of the trailers. Big 18-wheelers, all mine. I don't have no interest in killing some broad in a cop's bed. Understand? You're saying nothing I've heard is true. What are you, stupid? It's exactly what I'm saying. What the hell would you expect me to say? Get him out of here, Sam. I'm done with him. Shard walked out before Sam could get to him. He was out the front door before Sam was halfway down the stairs. Back upstairs, Uncle Joe said to Stan, I'm going to call that asshole brother-in-law of mine. I'm going to kill that stupid shit. And while I'm doing that, get the phone number of the sheriff that the cop works for. I'm going to burn his ass, but not until I kill Alfie. Sunday morning, later, at headquarters. You know, Purple Flower, I wish the boss were here, Johnson said. We know this guy Winter killed Denise. Sounds open and shut, except we don't know who Winter is. I agree, I think it's Pressman. But how do we prove it? And if not Pressman, who? You know the scary thing? It could even be the boss. That's the longest of shots, Norseman.
First of all, he's not that kind of guy. Second, why would he use a fake name? He's single. He can date anyone he wants. Johnson's feet had gone to sleep. He swung them off the desk and plunked them down on the linoleum floor. How close do you think he and Denise were, he asked. How would I know? I'd never ask him. That's his business. And it doesn't have anything to do with what happened to here 20 years later. At least I don't think it does. Right, right. Our biggest problem right now, temporary leader, is to find some way to prove that Pressman is winter. Then all we have to do is trace him back to Denise last weekend and prove he killed her. Simple, huh? Yeah, except for one thing. The boss keeps hammering into us. Why would Pressman want to kill her? We might prove Pressman spent the weekend with her. That doesn't mean he killed her. Someone not even in our picture may have done it. And we can't catch someone we don't know about. Oh, that's brilliant, she said. Thanks. I wish I smoked. We could go up to the boss's office and find a camel. Five minutes after I light up, I could unravel this thing. Fat chance. I was thinking after my feet went to sleep, Johnson said. I think the answer to all this is buried in Jarl Haken's stories. Oh, God, Perry Winkle said. No, I mean it. The lieutenant laughs at my sagas, too, but he often sees the truth of the thing buried in them. By the way, I'm really enjoying rereading the Heimskringla. I think you'd like it, too. I'm up to St. Olaf. Do you know that he was once in... No, I didn't, Norseman. But if I have to endure this stuff, would you at least make poor Hakon pertinent to our case? Okay. Two overpowering motivations inspired Hakon. Revenge was one. When he waited for years and then killed the men who had killed his father. This is a common theme in Scandinavian history. It stemmed from pride, or their worry about what they were called. Word fame. I think it's an enduring part of being human. Was Denise killed for revenge? If so, for what? Was she sleeping with someone else too? She threatened to leave Winter? She threatened to tell Winter's wife, if he has one? Pressman does, we know. Did she do something unspeakable to him? Could be a lot of things. Well, that narrows down Winter's motive. Not only do we not know who he is, but now we don't know what he avenged. True. Well, bear with me. Hakon's second motivation was his illegitimate son, a talented kid who somehow threatened him in ways that we'll never know. The important thing is that to Hakon family was all important. It defined who his people were. It still does, little flower. Did Denise threaten Winter's family? Was she in a family way? She was still young enough. Did she threaten him with news of her pregnancy? Did Doc check to see if she was pregnant? asked Periwinkle. He usually does, but he didn't mention his autopsy report. Call him to find out. If she wasn't, it will eliminate one motive, but not entirely. Maybe she wanted a child, and her age was working against her. Pressman already has three legitimate kids and the illegitimate girl. Maybe he couldn't stand the thought of another one, or couldn't afford it. It's also interesting that the saga doesn't mention whether Hakon killed his child. It just says that he didn't like him. That probably meant he shunned him out of fear. Jealousy? Guilt for killing his mother? Who knows? But I think Hakon's motivations will unravel our riddle with Denise. When we understand one, we'll understand the other. Periwinkle stared as Johnson vigorously rubbed his left calf trying to awaken his foot. You may be dead right, and no pun intended, short-term boss, but I don't see how this clarifies anything about Denise. Winter, Pressman, or for that matter, the boss, Periwinkle said. 
No, it doesn't, but it will, my lavender friend, Johnson said. Saturday afternoon, Leiden, with the Kaiser. Shard walked into headquarters and shook the snow off his old coat. It's never going to quit snowing, he said to Neil, who sat just to the right of his boots. I'm supposed to tell you that the sheriff wants to see you pronto. He's in today. I couldn't find you. You weren't at home, and you didn't answer your car radio. Do you keep it on, sir? No. Sorry you couldn't reach me. I'll go right up. Bluter was working as well, and her mood didn't seem to brighten when she saw Shard. How's your vacation been, Lieutenant? I haven't taken it yet, exactly, he said. I've been attending my duties. I certainly hope so, because the sheriff is, is anxious to talk to you. Go on in. The Kaiser looked as if he hadn't moved since Shard had last seen him. The only difference was that the Kaiser was twiddling his fingers, and never a good sign. The weather couldn't be worse, sir, Shard said, ever anxious to bring up the Kaiser's second favorite topic, after food. This snow will never stop. Oh, it will, Lieutenant, but not for a few more days. We're under a very deep low that shows no sign of moving out. Do you know a guy in Utica named Joe Iorio? The Kaiser was a master at switching topics without transition. I do, Shard said. In fact, I talked to him this morning. I'm aware of that, Lieutenant. After you left, Mr. Iorio called and gave me a piece of his mind. Apparently, you left him with a strong impression that he had ordered the murder of the Stizemore girl. He didn't take kindly to your implied accusation. I have some very solid evidence that he ordered her killed, and I wanted to see how he would react when I confronted him. Judging from our conversation, Lieutenant, his reaction was not friendly. He asked how I could employ a deputy as stupid as you and suggested that I fire you. Now, to be honest, Lieutenant, I almost agreed with him. As I remember, I ordered you off the Sizemore case. Further, I recollect you agreed. Suddenly, a guy in Utica, who I have sub subsequently discovered is a man of some nefarious connections, calls to demand your termination. I judge that something went amiss here. Would you care to explain? You've never seen the Kaiser so angry. Shard's nerve reaction was to explain in more detail than was necessary what he had learned in Albany and from his phone call to Tiny. The Kaiser listened without comment, but Shard noted that the bush that camouflaged his upper lip was twitching. When Shard finished, the Kaiser said, But that doesn't answer my question. I want to know why you are still working the case contrary to my orders. Shard knew that it was suicidal to answer the Kaiser's question. I'm almost 100% certain, sure, sir, that Iorio killed Denise as a favor to his brother-in-law, Alphonse Spinello, who wanted to get back at me for discovering that he had killed Samuel Landry. Remember, I told him I'd keep an eye on him. Now, I think Spinello asked him to kill Ellen Mish, a friend of mine in Buffalo, and Iorio's thugs screwed it up. Give me some time, sir, and I can prove it. The Kaiser's eyes bored through Shard for the longest time. He didn't even glance at Lincoln's portrait, which Shard recognized was a bad sign. The Kaiser often sought the deceased president's advice. I won't have rogue officers in my department, Lieutenant. I'm responsible for all you people. If my officers wantonly disobey me, I get most perturbed. I wouldn't and didn't wantonly disobey you, sir. I only thought that I could quietly help Johnson out. This is an election year, sir, and I'm as anxious to clean up this case as you are. And also, I want to clear my name. I'm afraid that's your principal concern, Lieutenant. That's why I took you off the case. 
You were too close to it, perhaps because you were personally involved in it as well. Personally involved, sir? You've known the woman for a number of years. I don't know exactly how well you've known her, but it could turn out to be embarrassingly well for both of us, if you get my meaning. I do, sir. I'm not going to fire you today, Lieutenant. You're too damn good an investigator. But I don't want to hear of any further skulking around behind my back. None, you understand? Yes, sir. You may be correct that this is a mafia hit, and I'll pass that information to Johnson. He may want to ask you more about it, and that's okay. But it's his case. Understand me? Yes, sir. Now go and track down the rest of the malefactors out there. Kaiser leaned back in his chair and watched Shard walk past Bluter's desk. He wondered it was only his imagination that Shard was more nervous than he'd ever seen him. His words cascaded everywhere, the Kaiser thought, but he deliberately evaded my question. He had no reason to be so defensive unless he was more deeply involved with Sizemore than anyone knew. I wish I'd paid more attention to his private life, because there's something here I can't quite put my finger on. Hilda, get Johnson and Periwinkle up here on the double, will you? For the better part of an hour, Johnson and Periwinkle brought the Kaiser up to date on their theories about winter, and he told them about Shard's mafia suspicion. But what I most want to know, the sheriff said, is whether you've cleared Shard of possible involvement in the crime. No, sir, they said. <laughs>